Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to start today by looking at the 25th Psalm. It is a beautiful Psalm of David, and we'll begin by reading verses 4 through 15. There the Bible says, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me, for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Teach me, lead me, instruct me, make me know your will. In this episode, we're going to talk about God, our instructor. And let's start by looking at one way that God instructs us. Return once again to the book of Psalms, this time Psalm 19 verse 1 through the first part of verse 4. The psalmist wrote, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth, and their utterance is to the end of the world. By combining that with Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, we see a very important way that God serves as our instructor. Paul wrote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Invisible things are not visible to the natural eye, but invisible things are sometimes clearly visible to the mind's eye. Paul speaks of God's eternal power and divine nature. The world and all the things in it exists. It bespeaks intelligence, 
design, and power. God created the universe, and that necessarily implies that he existed before the creation. We can know of God's power and his majesty by observation of what he has made and continues to sustain. There has never been a reason, from Adam until now, for any man or any nation to forget God. Every star attests to his existence. The rains and seasons demonstrate his control over nature. There are things of God that we can know just by looking around and contemplating the significance of what we see. However, my friends, observing nature and even marveling at what it teaches us about God cannot reveal unto us his will. It cannot tell us what God wants us to do, what he wants us to be, nor can it reveal and teach us of God's marvelous plan for the salvation of man. There is no way for us to know those kinds of things unless God revealed them unto us, and that just stands to reason. You do not know what I am thinking unless I revealed it unto you. In the same way, I don't know what you are thinking unless you reveal it to me. Come with me if you're following along in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 9 through 13. There we find, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. God has told us. He has revealed unto us his will. In the same book, 1 Corinthians, this time chapter 14 and verse 37, Paul wrote, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which are right to you are the Lord's commandment. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 we find, And for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. A fundamental claim of the penman of the Bible is that God was the actual, real author of the words. Consider Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter informs us that prophecy did not come via the will of man, but that the minds of men were moved or driven by the Holy Spirit to produce the words. One thing I think is very interesting and enlightening about this is pointed out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. There Peter wrote, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Don't you find it interesting that the prophets themselves 
did not fully understand the words they received by inspiration. After writing what they did, they had to search their own writings for the meaning of the Spirit-revealed words. My friends, the Bible makes the assertion that when we pick it up and read it, we are reading the words of God. There are those who contend that God merely inspired the thoughts into the prophets and other writers and not the very words. That is not what the Bible says. All the information recorded in the Bible, whether it be historical, poetry, or doctrinal, whether known beforehand by the writer, copied from another source, or revealed by revelation, was written accurately because it is what God wanted. Every word as given in the original manuscript was given as God intended. Now this does not mean that God dictated as an official would dictate to his secretary, thus eliminating the style and individual traits of the writers, but rather that God allowed no words to be recorded that he did not intend to be there. In the very familiar passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, we find all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The phrase inspired by God is most significant. It comes from a compound word composed of God and blow or breathe. Hence, all scripture is God-breathed. Do you remember that God breathed into Adam the breath of life and Adam became a living soul? I think that it is a fair inference that the scriptures are as much a product of God or can be as traced to him as life itself. Indeed, life to the fullest cannot be lived without the word of God in it. When Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This then, in a nutshell, is the claim of divine inspiration by the scriptures. God revealed his will to certain men, he moved them or breathed his words into their minds via the Holy Spirit. These men then wrote, but as penmen, not just as pens, their individual personalities, backgrounds, and styles come through, even as every word is there as God intended it to be. Again, there are no words recorded in the original that God did not intend to be there. The very fact that we can go to practically any bookstore and by a personal copy of God's word, demands a recognition of his incredible preservation of his word for us. God has seen to its survival through the centuries. Written originally on material that perishes, and having to be copied by hand for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, did not serve to diminish the style, correctness, accuracy, or existence of God's word. Where compared to other ancient writings, the Bible has more manuscript evidence attesting to its reliability and accuracy than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. God has seen to the survival of his word through unparalleled persecution. The Bible has withstood vicious attacks from its enemies as no other book has. Many in the past have tried to burn it out of existence ban it and outlaw it from the days of the Roman emperors to various communist and Islamic regimes. Still, it continues to be the most published book in history. One of my favorite ironies to be found in the study of the preservation of the Bible has to do with the famous French author and infidel Voltaire, 
who died in 1778. He stated that in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. But what happened? Only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used Voltaire's press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. Is it even necessary to mention that the Bible has survived through unparalleled criticism? Please allow me to read to you a quote that is cited by H.L. Hastings by John W. Lee in his book, The Greatest Book in the World. Hastings said, Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today as solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die and the book still lives. This is the great care that our instructor has taken, the love he has shown to reveal his will to us and to make certain that it is preserved for all generations. This is a tremendous truth. Just think about it. God has spoken to us. He has breathed his word, his will, into the minds of men through the Holy Spirit. We have received through the scriptures what Paul calls the thoughts of God and the things freely given to us by God. What an awesome responsibility that places upon you and me. Since God has spoken to us, given us his instructions, there are certain things that just have to be so and cannot be any other way. Since the scriptures are God-breathed, it has got to be true that God has seen to it that they were presented in such a way as to be understood. The God who spoke the worlds and all things into existence had a message that he wanted to give to man. Doesn't it stand to reason that the one capable of creating all things could do so in a way that we could understand? The scriptures were written to be understood. God's word means something. Let me say that again. God's word means something. If you and I read a passage and disagree about what it means, we cannot both be right. I may be right and you may be wrong, or you may be right and I may be wrong, but if we disagree about what it says, we could both be wrong, but we could not both be right. God's word means something. It is the medium by which he has chosen to instruct us of his will. I'd like you to come with me to Second Peter chapter 1, where we'll look at a few verses. First, at verse 13, Peter wrote, And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter is saying, while I'm still with you in this body, there are some things I want to remind you of. Now let's look at verse 14. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent, as also our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. In other words, knowing that I'm going to die before too long, I want to leave a message with you. 
Now look at verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. So put it all together and we find Peter saying, I have some things I want you to know. I realize that I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die shortly. After I am gone, I want you to have these things always in remembrance, even though I'm not with you. Okay, Peter, how are you going to accomplish that? Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the word spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter said, I have written these things down so that after I am gone you can remember and know the words of the prophets and the apostles. Peter's very point is that he had written these things down so that they and you and I could know and remember God's word. It has been written down to instruct us in his will in a way that we can understand. Another point to be made is simply this. Since the scriptures are God-breathed, it is absolutely imperative that I approach them in the right way. Is the word of God, his instructions to us, to be approached subjectively, or is the word to be approached objectively? Let me explain the difference. In a subjective approach to God's instructions, I just go by my feelings. If I feel like it is right, that makes it right. If I feel like it is wrong, well, that makes it wrong. I can tell you a very easy way to tell if a person is approaching God's word from a subjective standpoint. It is when they say, I know what it says, but. That means that they are going to believe what they want to believe, regardless of what the scriptures actually say, based upon their feelings. Amazingly, God, in his instructions, tells us about that kind of approach. In Matthew 13, we find the parable of the sower. In response to his disciples' questions, why do you speak to them in parables? Verses 13 through 15 gives us a portion of the Lord's answer. He said, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I should heal them. Sometimes people fail to understand the word of God because they have already made up their minds in advance concerning what they want to hear. That is the subjective approach. However, since God has spoken and given us his instruction for our lives in the word, that means that we've just got to humble ourselves before him and ask, what does the Bible actually say? That is what I mean by an objective approach. We just need to hear what he says. We need to be quiet and just be a recipient of the message in his word. Actually hear what he says. Just listen to the word and obey. After all, God has spoken. Just two more points. Since the scriptures are God-breathed, since they are his message to man, it must be true that how we treat the message is a direct reflection of how we are treating God himself. 
When God said, if you love me, keep my commandments, as he did in John 14, verse 15, and then we turn around and refuse to heed his instructions, what does that say about our feelings toward God? What does that say about our respect or lack of respect for the one who gave these commandments? And finally, since the scriptures are God-breathed, they must be absolutely vital. There is nothing more truly elemental for man than the importance of heeding what God has said. We must openly, objectively, and humbly place ourselves before him as those who will be instructed by his word and judged thereby. I sure hope this has been beneficial for you. Thanks for listening.